Welcome to If These Bricks Could Talk, Tales of Hendricks Past, where we feature familiar voices sharing memories from their time at Hendricks College, big and small pieces of life that help make Hendricks Hendricks. Season three features retired faculty paired with alumni interviewers. For this episode, we're joined by Dr. Stella Chopik, Albert L. Fawcett Distinguished Professor Emerita of Sociology. Stella arrived at Hendricks in 1986, and until her retirement in 2019, she taught a variety of courses, from environmental sociology to urban community, from gender and family to social change. Outside of the classroom, she also could be found collaborating with the Environmental Concerns Committee and supplying background vocals in the band known as Folk Faculty. Sunny Baker, Hendricks Class of 2009, will be our guest interviewer today. She joins us remotely from Chickasaw Territory, now known as Oxford, Mississippi. Sunny works as a consultant to lead school food reform and create a new culture of regionally based eating and is expanding her consultancy to include racial and economic justice work with white leaders. Stella, Sunny, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. This is such an honor and Dr. Chopek was so formative to my young self and my career. So thrilled to get to be here with y'all. Yikes. Well, I'm just really um, honored myself that you would want to do this. So do I just get going with the questions now? Do whatever you two want to do. Okay, great. (laughs) We might want to (laughs) cook. I don't know that cooking is necessarily a podcast-friendly activity. No, it's not. It's not. Okay. Well, I was going to tell you, Dr. Traffic, that I I have this persimmon tree in my neighborhood. (gasps) Oh. And I think of you every time that I collect Uh, those persimmons. I love that you do that. Off the ground and off the tree. Yeah. Oh, we have to hear the persimmon backstory. Oh, wow. Um, Who gets to give the story? I mean, I I can tell my part. (laughs) Yeah, please. Well, okay. Well, um, I won't give the whole story, but um, I started developing the habit of harvesting wild persimmons when I lived here in Conway um, at a certain point in my life. And um, older generations... I did that, but these days it's mostly coyotes and wild animals who know how good the persimmons are who harvest them. And the longer story is that my mother had a real love for persimmons, and I didn't. I thought they were kind of slimy and unappetizing, and fortunately no one played the what I heard um, later was kind of a typical Arkansas joke. I think it's mostly males who did it to each other, older males to younger males. But um, uh, getting an unripe (laughs) persimmon off a tree and encouraging a young person to try to eat it. And if you eat an unripe Mm -hmm. persimmon, it's full of tannin and it will pucker your mouth for a long time to come. But fortunately, I, I never had that experience, but I just wasn't particularly in love with them. But my mother was. And I'll I'll skip the longer story. I, I ended up writing an essay about it that, um, to my surprise, was published in the Oxford American. But it was um, it was actually one of the last things that she ate before she passed away, and we made a really special occasion of it. And after that, and also with my interest in local harvesting, I decided I should get out there and try to make something out of it. And they're not all that easy to work with. There are a lot of big pits 
and little fruit, but I developed a technique. And so I started every fall baking persimmon squares um, for my friends. And then I also brought them to class, um, the food mm -hmm. culture and nature class, maybe, yeah. or environmental sociology. So that's probably where you ran into them. And so it's had a lot of meaning for me. And I just baked my last batch this past October slash November. Yeah. And they're not so much a northern fruit, as far as I know, those wild ones. Um, so I'm so touched yeah, so that you special. would be doing that. <laughs> mm. yeah, yeah, I, I I've gotten my five year old in on the persimmon harvest, so we always look forward to it. And I told her about where I found them. That class, food culture and nature, really just changed my life. I mean it. It was the start of my career in food systems, and it just blew my mind open. And I, you have this way of taking these big systems, complex ideas in society and making in, them into classes that really inspire your students and have, as I imagine, launched the career of many. I mean, I, I know some other <laughs> students who have... <laughs> I've launched careers because of your classes. So can you talk about what some of your favorite courses were to teach or or even that process of coming up with the ideas for your courses that were had an activist tinge to them? <laughs> well, I can try. Um, one of the first things that was really good about coming to Hendrix because I wanted to come to a liberal arts college. I just, I liked... Um, sort of that broader, more holistic model, you know, that it invites students and faculty and staff into. And I was really happy that I was already hired to teach um, what I wanted to teach and what I was teaching um, as a graduate student. And then at uh, in one year at Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas, I was already teaching um, a course called Social Problems um, that very much focused on social justice issues and, you know, all the things that so many people are arguing about these days about is racism and poverty systemic or not? I mean, of course it is. Um, yeah. And so those that class um, definitely addressed race, class, gender, and more. And I was hired to, to do that, so I liked it. Um, I've always loved intro class just because students are coming to it often not having had any sociology or having had something in high school that may or may not resemble what it is. So I always liked that. Um, I already was teaching gender and family, and I was able to develop more of a cross-cultural perspective when I came here, which is what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, and um, But my, my favorite, I mean, I... I had a lot of classes that were favorites, so, but as soon as I could, I branched out. I also was teaching urban community, um, and so I continued that at Hendrix, and then I developed a class called Images of the City, um, which was actually inspired by a professor that I had at Boston University in the English department there who taught an interdisciplinary class on images of the city going way back, mm. like to the earlier texts, earliest texts that we know about. And um, that was focused on architecture and visual images and design and sort of dreams about what good cities could be. Um, 
I liked being able to do two urban-focused classes that were very different. One focused more on not so much sociological um, research, although it included that, but also literature about cities over the ages. I put in, um, I, I already was teaching a social change, social movements class at Southwestern and um, maybe, oh yeah, I didn't mention that, but also that had a social justice focus like social problems did. And I was also hired to do that. So I was happy um, that I would get to do that. And um, I got to branch out and do environmental sociology. Um, actually coming to Arkansas um, made me really want to teach about social change in relationship to environment because so many honestly scary things um, were going on here. Uh, that was the time when mm -hmm. um, 29,000 leaking barrels of dioxin were being were stored, uh, left over from Agent Orange, were being stored um, in Jacksonville, and there was a big controversy about it. So I, I was moved to teach environmental sociology, and I always loved any environmentally related classes I got to teach. I, the food, culture, and nature class sort of came along at a time when I, um, I just, you know, I'd been teaching some of the same things for a while, and I was starting to wonder, do I have anything to share with students? Is there you know, is, is there maybe, well, you know, we, we do think about those things. And um, mm -hmm. I love to eat. I um, love the culture of food. I like the environmental implications of food. And so I decided to develop a class called uh, Food, Culture, and Nature. And as you know, but for me, it was really important to have nature in the title because a lot of students think, oh yeah, culture and food, I love it, you know. But to think about how the ecosystem fits into that and how we can maybe design something different and how it works um, as a global process and then how it comes down to individual levels of meaning that we attribute mm -hmm. to food. I, I just love the chance to do that. And I also really loved um, being able to expand into teaching medical sociology. And it's mm -hmm. gone by some different names like medicine and culture, and, but it mm -hmm. always has been medicine, medicine medical sociology. And um, that's another thing that, I mean, we're all implicated one way or another in medical systems uh, for better or for worse. And unfortunately, systemically it could be the worst you know depending on where you live and what your circumstances are and i also like the additional um sort of gift of having pre-med students in that class oh, um, yeah. who went on to be doctors and then i would invite them back into my class and they could talk about is med school really the way that sociologists and anthropologists say that it is, and also just talk a little bit about, um, you know, having read the text and having experienced the class and now being in the medical field, some part of it, to come back and talk to students who are wondering someday, would they be doing something like that, you know? So, um, yeah. and then I, I really was excited when I finally had a chance to develop, um, to do a creative writing class that was sociology listed in sociology and english and um i had an interest i i'm i'm sort of um you know i i ended up being a sociologist in academia but i 
always had really broad interests in the humanities. And um, mm -hmm. I started going to a meeting that for years, some colleagues at Hendricks and also mostly elsewhere told me I would love. And those meetings were the Association for Study of Literature and Environment. And um, those helped me write some of my first um, creative nonfiction essays, made me brave enough to do that and share them. Wonderful. <clears throat> yeah. And then um, I got the idea. I thought it was a crazy idea. I didn't know if it would be accepted by our various departments, but I got the idea that I would love to teach a nature writing class that had both sociological research into nature and environment and also literature from the humanities and to put all that together. And that was sort of my dream class because it brought together all the things that I thought were pretty wonderful about looking at the world. And um, I also loved, I mean, let's, let's be honest, grading is something that is super, <laughs> super, 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 super hard. <laughs> And exhausting. And we all know it, those of us who teach. Um, mm -hmm. And but to to get to um, give comments, I mean, it still involved very intense grading, but to get to give comments on creative um, nonfiction that students were writing, uh, you know, trying to put mm -hmm. sociology and literature and poetry and visual images together. Um, it was so refreshing, even though it was still it took forever to grade and, you know, it's, it's not easy, but it was just such a treat. And sometimes uh, also having had that student in a sociology research class, for example, to see how they kind of pivoted a little bit and made sense out of this other kind of creative writing. It was really wonderful. Yeah. And I'm just yeah, glad. Yeah, I still that... remember my tree from that class. Oh, you do? Oh, good. I the observation do. of the tree. Oh, good. Yeah, I, I it... remember sitting with that tree and learning about that tree. And that well, was a really wonderful connection to me. Well, I love that um, we had the journal assignment, you know, because that the observations of, of a tree and yourself and everything going on around it. And um I I think it fed well into the final project and just thinking about from every possible angle, you know, what was going on. So, yeah. yeah. And, and I think that really is such a, a beautiful way to connect how Hendrix is this place for a whole student, mm -hmm. not just mm -hmm. a student who goes on to medical school and not just a student who goes into this field, but really helping support the development of a of a human person and yeah. a person as a part of community a part of society yeah. and and systems and yeah. it kind of makes me think too about how you landed in Conway Arkansas <laughs> and and what you thought um about being there and and Conway has gone through so much change mm -hmm. since you arrived so what were some of the things beyond the classroom, beyond the campus that brought you joy about being in Arkansas? Well, um, I, you know, at my last lecture, I told the story kind of of how I ended up at Hendrix, um, partly because when I was in grad school in Austin, Texas, one of my best friends was from Batesville, Arkansas. 
and knew about Hendrix and told me I should take it seriously when they advertised for a position. And I seriously wanted a job. And um, <laughs> I came up for the interview, you know, and felt really good about what I saw, the liberal arts model and the way people um, at that time were treating each other. Um, I didn't know much about Conway. Um, but one of the, or Arkansas, I'd never been to Arkansas, um, even though I've driven with my parents, even, you know, at a younger age through a lot of places in the U.S., but I'd never been through Arkansas. And um, one of the things I really liked is that I, I just, first of all, I had a sort of sociological sense of adventure. Um, you know, mm. I thought <clears throat> this will be interesting to make discoveries about, and I found out pretty early that um, Arkansas, even though, you know, a lot of people either don't know it at all, you know, outsiders, or they think of it as just poor and nothing's going on there, it had a really interesting history of social justice and social change movements, including um, the Tenant Farmers Union um, yeah. that was put together uh, in the early days. Um, uh, an integrated, racially integrated um, union working for social justice. I also pretty quickly found out that there were um, projects like the Women's Project in those days that worked on um, feminist issues and social justice and um, uh, uh, did all kinds of things, including in the prisons and just a very inspiring place. And um, I also found out pretty early about the Meadow Creek Project up in Fox, Arkansas, that I learned, you know, later had been very instrumental in um, the Hendrix Food Project that got local food into our um, wonderful dining hall. And I say wonderful because compared to a lot of other places, it really has been wonderful in terms of giving students um, choices and not just fast food choices, but local food and a lot of emphasis on health and creativity, yeah. amazing chefs and staff. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, Jay McDaniel um, took me up to Meadow Creek for a conference, I think, that first fall that I was here. And Meadow Creek was doing a lot of ex uh, experimenting with sustainability and brought in amazing speakers um, uh, from lots of different fields. And so... Um, while Conway, to be honest with you, didn't really um, connect with me, you know, um, in very many ways, um, there were things off campus for sure and in Arkansas that made me feel really um, good about being here and, and interested in. And, you know, over the years, Conway, it just keeps growing and it advertises itself now on that little piece of, it's not exactly sculpture, but those pillars that you see when you drive into Conway, mm -hmm. it says City of Colleges. City of yeah. Colleges. And yeah. it has been a city of colleges, but um, yeah, but it never has felt like a college town to me um, yeah, where you I would agree. have, yeah, it's gotten more like that in recent times. But I, when I came here, especially, it just didn't feel that way. And so um you know, I just kind of made my way through it, and um, it it wasn't the main thing that that um, you know kind of gave me life. Although mm -hmm. I it it did it gave me it didn't give me, but I had a house. I lived here. You know, I got to know 
um, what was going on here and to appreciate at least some of it. When I didn't appreciate something, I was happy to see that some people were trying to work on changing it. So, yeah, so but I came here, I thought, what is, happened. yeah, and, you know, what is toad suck? I saw a sign on the freeway about <laughs> toad suck. And, mm-hmm. you know, but I did have that sense of adventure, and I enjoyed um, discovering it. But, um, you know, the Arkansas climate has never been my friend. Um, <laughs> too hot, too humid, too many bugs, too much large poison ivy and chiggers and stuff like that. But brings I've, us to your move, I guess. But, <laughs> but bring that brings us to your absolutely, impending move. I'm going back north. But but I do want to say that right away, um, I figured out there's certain seasons to do it. I made a mistake. But um, right away, I found out there are beautiful hiking spots um, oh, in yeah. the Washita um, mountains, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, in the Ozark mountains. And the mistake was to think you could do that in the summer, um, (laughs) or early fall. But, um, that beauty speaks to me just to this day and I, and the Buffalo river, and I've just been so grateful. So I, um, you know, I, I just broadened my map, um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, appreciated what was in Conway. And Conway changed and got a little greener. It got a little bit more. um, It developed a design that was friendlier um, to the environment and also to diverse populations in Conway, um, Mm. at least to some extent. But yeah, when I when I first came here, it um, it was it was kind of a a challenge. More like a base to explore. Well, other parts of Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, and, and I will tell you one anecdote, She quick one. She probably wouldn't mind yeah. me mentioning this because I actually put this in a published <clears throat> article that, with her permission, that I wrote about um, a situation where a whole bunch of egrets were killed in Conway, cattle egrets, um, when a new um, subdivision was being built. And that's a story in and of itself. But um, my colleague, Allison Shutt, friend and colleague, um, she was on some committee about um, Conway's future. And she, um, I think the egret incident was going on right around that time. And someone suggested to her that she was un-American for raising a question about that and you know i i know the more precise details in a way that i can't remember right now but it you know we would get these signals sort of about social change kind of reluctantly happening but there was also resistance to regulation there was um you know for a long time restaurants couldn't serve any alcohol um, yeah, and so I remember that's a big when difference I, that's happened. Well, yeah, it's a huge difference, and it's helped restaurants yeah. to flourish more. But I remember having to explain to a visiting person from Germany that the glasses that were on our table that looked like <laughs> wine glasses, um, they were for water or yeah, for yeah. some, you know. So that's that's a little bit of a an answer. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, the professors of Hendrix like uh-huh. are a part of this change in central Arkansas yeah. and not just um working with young minds and and mm-hmm. teaching but also as your own community. Do you want to yeah. talk about some of your colleagues and <clears throat> friends and you know what I community? I thought about this before um before this, um, because I got a few sample questions from Amy here. 
And I, I really sort of don't want to single single anyone out. I, I have colleagues who really, really helped and inspired me, uh, sometimes personally, just surviving the um, challenges of, of Hendrix in a very small and resource um, resource uh, scarce <laughs> department. We never really had enough um, mm. faculty or resources, especially for sociology. And when I, when I first came, it was only sociology. We, we mm. made a big case for having anthropology too. But so I had colleagues that go way back. I'll just mention one, Carol West, who is a really, really great friend and colleague, but there are others. And um, I kind of don't like to single people out because in so many different ways, um, uh, there are colleagues and staff um, who who helped me and inspired me, but I they know who they are. And I just feel like I'm being kind of unfair. So I, I mentioned one <laughs> and I could mention others. That's perfect. Okay, good. Um, yeah, good. And, and we know, you know, we know that you were a part of this wonderful group and, and that sort of thing. But you mentioned that there were some challenging things about working at Hendrix too. Well, absolutely. It always made me um, sad and stressed um, that sociology, even though when we had outside, you know, evaluators come in and talk about the good, great job we were doing and how we needed more resources, um, that really didn't come to us in a way that helped us, um, uh, expand sociology. Not very much. We got up to three faculty at one point, um, and then we we started building anthropology, and I, you know, the great thing about um, having sociology and anthropology together at Hendrix is that we were, um, and are, I presume, um, although I'm not there anymore, um, a very collaborative, supportive department, um, and we tried to get resources for both sides, but um, we were always understaffed, um, under-resourced, and that meant things like... Um, uh, not being able to rotate being chair the way you could in a bigger mm -hmm. department. So the cycle would come around and, and hit you <laughs> like oh. frequently. And it's just a lot of invisible work that, um, mm -hmm. that um, people don't know about unless you're doing it. Um, and I would have just loved to see the sociology side develop more with resources than we were able to do. Um, anthropology too, but we, you know, we, we, um, anyway, we, we did what we could yeah. for both sides, but, but that was a little hard. And I feel the same way, Sunny, about environmental studies. Um, there's mm -hmm. such interest by students in environmental studies. And those of us who are on the environmental studies committee and worked on the theses and worked with individual students and built the program, we did that just on our own time. Um, wow. On top of everything else we were doing, um, there never was a department. There never was any pay for it. Um, and so people just kind of came and went as they could on the mm -hmm. faculty. But even to this day, I know there's great student interest. And a lot of people who are key have left for other um, mm -hmm. adventures and parts of their life. And, um, you know, it would be nice to see the college just recognize the gap yeah. there. So, it's a good so, thing to keep in mind that dedication that y'all have had to yeah, yeah. Um, that program. And 
you know, you were talking about the medical sociology class too, and and the medical students are pre-med students. And I just think so much again about this whole student piece and Uh that environmental piece and, and, you know, with what you were able to do and, Uh and the dedication you had to doing these things outside of your classes and outside of you know, your job description that you were able to plant these seeds and these ideas um, in students that, that, you know, stay with them for a lifetime. <laughs> well, we always, we always hope. And um, uh, I, I see that um, my collaborator here is chuckling, Amy. Just go ahead um, and say it into the mic. I <laughs> will say it. Um, we don't always know where those seeds land. You know, sometimes we find out years later. But um, Amy, I ran into her at some function. I think it maybe had to do with something with the Oxford American or something. But I, I, I ran... think we were down at the Green Corner store in Little Rock. Yeah. Maybe there. I don't know One what the event was, but yeah. As as um, uh, it's now you know to a lot of people or at least to some people it's known as Soma South yes. Maine and that's something yeah. else I studied the emergence of that but anyway we were somewhere mm. down there and um, Amy had taken my um, urban community class and she came up to me you know we greeted each other and she told me I had. Um, do you want it? I, I mean, you know, I think it was a compliment. The way you say it doesn't sound so flattering, but no, basically no. she ruined my search for a house. I wouldn't yeah. go so far as to say she ruined my life. But <laughs> the two times I have bought a house, I have thought back so intensely yes. to the types of things I learned about the interaction of neighbors mm-hmm. and the way streets flow and, and, and whether they engender community or prevent it. Yeah. Um, yeah. All those things, you know, yeah. they, they figured in very heavily and I'm sure annoyed my real estate agent. Yes. Oh, yes. siding. I'm, I'm very concerned about the siding. Oh, the environment. Houses. Yeah. Yeah. Because of, yes, it's a lot well, of things. Yeah. Well, my first house had a rear entry garage. And so, you know, I was just... I was like, there's no way around it. These are the ones that we can afford. You know. Well, you're right. She didn't tell me I ruined her whole life, but she told me that, you know, she'll, maybe she'll never get a house or it made it really hard, you know. And that's the kind of thing I don't mind hearing at all because it means you're thinking yes. about social justice, things like that. And mm-hmm. I, when I was involved in the um, what we used to have, uh, it was co- it was an interdisci- truly interdisciplinary class called Masterworks in my early years. Mm. Um I taught a, a book by um, Louise Erdrich called Love Medicine. Um, yeah, she's one of my favorite authors, including now. But one of my colleagues in Masterworks um, saw me on campus after that because we talked a lot about indigenous and Native American history and, you know, challenges because that's all in the book. And these great characters. And he said, I just want you to know, I mean, he said this tongue in cheek, but he said, I just want you to know you've ruined my life forever because now I'll always think about this. And I said, good. But, you know. Dr. Stella Chopek, life ruiner. (laughs) Life Life ruiner. ruiner. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure it has happened. Um, And, you know, the the thing about teaching, I mentioned this earlier, is that you, you really don't know where the seeds land sometimes years later, if they even are seeds. And when we teach, we encounter the whole range of students who um, can't stand us and are sorry that they took a class with us to those who 
are really glad and have a life-changing experience. And um, we meet some of both years later <laughs> and find out what happened, you know. But I think Hendricks, getting back to the being under-resourced and challenged part of it, I think Hendricks has um, always hired people who want to go the extra mile for students. And mostly that's a good thing, mm -hmm. but it can also undermine our um, sanity and health when it gets excessive. So, you know, and but but teaching is a big gamble. And I, I do remember I'll mention this person because um, she and her sister were such presences at Hendrix. Um, Andrea and Wendy Anderson. Yes. And um, uh, Andrea told me um, she did a stint with some teaching at some point in her very amazing career since she left Hendrix. And um, she sent me an email once and she said, I always had respect for teaching and I knew it was hard. But now I can say teaching is not for the weak. <laughs> you know, it just um, it takes a huge amount of um, not just labor, but also the faith that this is worth doing. You know, mm -hmm. and um, we do believe it's worth doing. And when you teach something like sociology, getting back to what Amy said, um, I think I said this in, maybe in my last lecture as well, or somewhere in some interview. Um, there's a really delicate balance between sort of unveiling systemic oppression that exists and um, having that be an empowering thing for mm -hmm. students to learn about. And the other um, outcome that can be that students just get depressed and say, okay, there's, there's nothing to do. You know, this system is this way and it'll never change. Yeah. Um, so the delicate balance is to open up that whole realm, help you to see what I used to call those invisible strings between all yeah. of us and all those systems everywhere globally um, and ecologically, um, uh, but to not slam the door shut and make it too depressing, you know, because um, we will, I think, um, we will always be challenged. We'll have... Um, We'll make some progress as far as social change and social ju social justice and in climate change and things like that. And then some bad actor will break onto the scene and, you know, undo a lot of the good. And um, it ha yeah, it happens. Yeah, it's important to be resilient. But I do think you really did strike that balance. And uh -huh. maybe instead of calling you someone who ruins lives, we should say that you're someone who just, you know, gets rid of that blissful ignorance that we have. Right. Um, about wouldn't, the lives wouldn't it that be we're, blissful sometimes? Yeah. Wouldn't it be blissful? That we're living in and really makes our lives richer because of us, because the more we're able to connect and the more we're able to really understand each other in our environments, the, the well, better that's... off we'll be. Yeah, that's the hope, really. And also that, um, you know, sociologists tend to um, focus on the, the bigger systemic picture, but some of my favorite sociology collects people's life stories and really looks at very personal um, issues of identity and meaning. And I've always thought that inner work is every bit as important um, as learning about the outside systemic stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, and in mm -hmm. my own life, um, it takes the form of meditation and 
yoga and lots of um, also the recognition that um, things don't always work out. And when they don't, you have to go deep into actually one of my more recent interests is the sociology of silence and its experiences with mm -hmm. um, positive silence, not the kind that shuts you down. But when yeah. things are really bad, sometimes you have to go into that super deep silence and find something that's about resilience, you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I don't well, know. That was a of... question all over the place from. Well, I mean, <laughs> speaking of things that, you know, like bring you joy and bring you alive. Were yeah. there like some really funny moments during class or, or teaching or during your time at Hendrix that, that stuck I, out to you? I know there were, and that was one <laughs> of the questions I also got. And I was thinking about it in the, because I'm involved in the moving process, you know, mm -hmm. um, I, I just haven't had the time to let this percolate the way I'd like to. So I was trying, I know there have been because I came out and, and laughed, but, um, I don't know that I'll be able to access any of those, um, uh, you know, for for this podcast. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. I had one image that sprang into my mind. This is or isn't funny, depending on who you are and what your perspective is. But I had a student in my Images of the City class once um, come in late to the final exam. Um, and he came like an hour late. And Whoa. he walked... I know he had overslept um, and no one had woken him up. And he just, um, he had an enviable sort of calm and he walked in and he was just confident of what he knew. And he just smiled and he said, well, I got more sleep than y'all. And he actually ended up, um, you know, and just, yeah. And he ended up um, uh, doing well on the final, even wow. though he had much less time to do it. And, you know, I, for some, uh, there are lots of other things um, like That's that. That's some real but, grace you extended. For well, you know, I told him he was, he was enacting one of the heroes from the Epic of Gilgamesh you know, where mm -hmm. you, you kind of feel like you have these superpowers. So, yeah. you know, I was willing to um, let him see if he could do it. I, I hope I'm remembering the details as correctly as I need to, but they're pretty correct. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and this isn't, okay, this isn't, um, this isn't funny. This was very touching to me. Um, this didn't happen in class. This happened in a parking lot, probably in the last year that I taught at Hendrix. And um, one of my younger faculty uh, faculty um, colleagues saw me in the parking lot, and she had actually taken a class with me earlier, you know, when she was a Hendrix student. And she said, um, <laughs> I, I wanted to speak up. I think this was when um, Jay McDaniel organized a Friday afternoon discussion that, that included those of us who were going to be retiring mm -hmm. and she was in the audience and she said I really wanted to speak up and say something but like you I often don't want to speak out in public because you you must know I have that side I have a very very shy introverted side and I do not love an audience even now I'm trying to love the audience but um she came up to me in the parking lot and she said I really would have liked to um, raise my hand and thank you for teaching me that I was a horrible writer. And I said, a horrible writer? I would never say that. And she said, no, you just made me realize with all your comments and your 
um, you know, your feedback that I had no idea what I was doing. And from that point on, uh, you know, she said her writing got good and had served her well. And I didn't remember that at all. I know I try to be gentle, but, but wow. she put it, I, I, it may not be a hundred percent correct, but it was, it was in that category of ruined my life, but not really um, <laughs> yeah. stuff. So that isn't funny, but I was so touched that I had a chance to hear her say that, you well, know? Yeah. Um, I, my husband's also a Hendrix grad, uh-huh, same, yeah. same year. And both of it, he's a professor now, history at University of Mississippi, and we both talk about how leaving Hendrix as better writers was one of the best things that could have happened yeah. to us and, and this, the papers that he reads and, and that sort of thing. Well, like, oh, yeah. I wish everyone could have this experience because being able to communicate clearly is so important. And writing is just such a beautiful, beautiful art, you know, but to turn mm-hmm. it into that takes so much work, even if you start off being good at it. And so... That was part mm-hmm. of the sorrow of grading <laughs> is how hard that work, how, you know, just how hard that, that work is. But, but yeah, again, I, that, that spirit with which you guided all of us, you know, we can yeah. say the things, the things that come out of our mouths. You ruined my life. I learned I was a horrible <laughs> writer, but you never, your, your spirit just would never lead you to say something that way. It would lead us to draw our own conclusions. Well, I was mm-hmm. hoping that was true. And, and you know, it, just, was, it worked. I was hoping that was true, including with students who intensely disagreed with me sometimes on <laughs> social justice kinds of questions, you know. Wow. But I actually wish I could um, remember a few more of the funny things because they were definitely there. But yeah. maybe that one late entry into a final, it just happens to, for some reason, have sprung into my memory. <laughs> Well, I love the image, the the visual that you gave. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. the Hendrix student body really, I mean, I even have seen it coming back. Like the the vibes have changed. You know, I imagine it's gone through a number of iterations it since has, you've been and, there. And Well, I don't want to turn the tables on you, but I would love to know what, am I allowed to do that? Yeah, sure. It's your <laughs> I podcast. would love to know what you especially notice has changed because I I hear feedback about this and I have some of my own thoughts but I'm so interested in what what you think about that yeah I I think I came to Hendrix at a time where the recruiting outside of Arkansas was really stepping up so I came to Hendrix from St. Louis yeah and there was a a little cohort of us from St. Louis and Uh um I think like you talked earlier about just Arkansas as a whole, like I, I really, uh-huh. I had not really considered Arkansas as a place where I had, <laughs> was really itching to go. Uh-huh. And then I came and, and saw the campus and, and learned more about the state and, and really like saw something special about yeah, that. Yeah. And I think that's the one thing that has seemed to stay the same about Hendrix in the student mm-hmm. body are these students from Arkansas mm-hmm. and that Hendrix is this place that's like, so special to Arkansans and Mm -hmm. um, really nurtures Mm -hmm. people from Arkansas in this Uh beautiful way because it is a little different than the norm. Um, Mm -hmm. Hendrix is is a special place and and so I I do think the student body has has you know changed based on what Hendrix is offering and 
yeah. sports especially I was there yeah. um right before the great football edition yes which yeah. I know changed things and and we were very yeah. proud of our t-shirts that had said Hendricks College undefeated football team since whenever it was yeah 1961 I believe yeah. I think I still have that t-shirt in a drawer at home oh. so oh yeah I would and, love that. And so, I yeah, can, I know sports was a big addition. Too. Yeah. If I can inject a little something right there, when I was at Southwestern University in um, Georgetown in Texas, it's another one of those Methodist liberal arts schools, but I didn't know anything about that network. Um, in fact, a former president of um, Hendricks was there, um, Roy Schilling at the time, and I knew nothing about oh, wow. this. But... Um, but one of the things I knew, someone told me that um, Hendrix was um, a lot like Southwestern, very similar, but uh, Hendrix didn't have fraternities and sororities and it didn't have football. And they felt like that made a huge difference. And I have to say it did because when I was at Southwestern, even students who weren't interested in being in fraternities and sororities, um, it was hard to not be somewhat preoccupied how, how, by how much space that took up on campus. And I oh. love that we were free of, of those sorts of things, you know, um, for, and not, I mean, for football, from football for many years, too. <laughs> but, you know, that has two sides to it and all that. But, you know, for me, one of the changes that I noticed um, is just a growing lack of familiarity with written texts and oh. a, a more distraction from online stuff. And that included, by the way, when I, I love that I was part of the Hendrix um, program in Costa Rica, the, the summer semester in Costa Rica, multiple times. And that was challenging in different ways, but I really loved the place and the opportunity to do it. But the last time I was there, we just had a crowd. They, they, they had Wi-Fi for the first time in a lot more places in this previously out-of-the-way place in the cloud forest. And... It was such a challenge a to get students to turn away. Added. Yeah, different cloud added. So, and, and even just generally, you know, the distraction in students' lives mm -hmm. um, that comes from social media and um, reading a lot of stuff online instead of the written page, which I happen to love the written page. Um, mm -hmm. I also noticed, and this may be that diagnoses have just gotten better, but I noticed over the years a lot more students coming in with medications that needed mm -hmm. balancing and, um, you know, just things that were stressful, stressful for them um, in newly visible ways, um, because that, that is something that over time just became um, evident, you know, and that, that we tried to work with in the best um, kind of ways. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also sort of a... a <laughs> This, this is so sociologically inaccurate, but a sort of basic Hendrix student <laughs> um, in the sense of being more interested in holistic learning and experiential yeah. knowledge and um, a lot of times making the world a better place um, mm -hmm. and just trying to take this onto the whole person um, model and tailor it in the best kind of way, you know, whether it was through Odyssey or the different iterations of things we did. And so that to me doesn't seem to have changed as much. And I know I was very fortunate to have retired um, before COVID, um, made things so hard for students and for faculty and for staff. And 
I think mm-hmm. coming back from that, you know, um, is a, a lot of people have something to say about that. Mm-hmm. But those are just a couple of things that I, um, you know, thought thought I noticed more over time. The things that stayed yeah. the same that make Hendrix what it is, and then also some of those um, just stressors, you know, and challenges yeah. of of social well, media and other other things. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. I I am so curious to hear more about Costa Rica because that was after my time and I and I would love oh, to hear more about it. But it also makes me think about um, you know, how important space is and environment and yes. and it does make me think back to my Yao Pan tree. I know exactly where it was <laughs> from that class. You know, was yeah. there a spot like that on campus for you that felt like meditative? Like there were all these efforts to, you know bring nature onto campus or bring yeah. nature onto campus. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you're holding up air quotations. Yeah, yeah. 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 Was there some, a space like that, that helped foster that for you? Yeah. Um, there, I really loved the Arkansas garden when it mm. was put together. Um, I loved walking through it um, after hours of grading and being sort of nailed to my chair in my office I could walk out there, and in a certain season that's probably coming up soon, um, there would be mulberries on the trees that I would pick and eat and compete with the birds Mm. for. Mm. There were, I know, um, there were all kinds of growing things to look at. And then, of course, there was the prairie garden behind its fence. I'm not even sure it's called that anymore. I don't think it is. Um, Mm. That Matt Moran would periodically... um, burn down to show how prairies regenerate <laughs> but but that Love little it. space and and other just places that were, that were a little bit more um yeah nature-ish on campus were were um nice for me i i wish that the labyrinth that was c- constructed on campus was not in that very busy corner where traffic goes by and mm-hmm. you know but I did take my um, nature writing class out there, and we had a nice slow experience um, that was very different from the way that people rush around. And also a place of refuge for me, thanks to the library staff and others, is I had a little faculty, I still have, but I'm about to surrender it, a little faculty carol uh, st- no. office in, in um, Bailey Library that's mm. barely bigger than I am, but... Um, it it was uh, it didn't have any stuff in it except me and a couple books and quiet and a view mm. onto the indoor atrium that mm. probably um, you know it it just made me feel less closed in so yeah um, nice. those those are just some I did go to a lot of late night when they had that uh, in the cafeteria they had the late night dinner that went all the way up till. Midnight, I think, pretty late or very, very late, maybe eleven. I don't know of this. I don't think that that was going on when you were here, but it was um, <laughs> yeah. in the last several years that I was here. They had after dinner was served, they would they would leave um, the dining hall open for a late night, and so students who were studying, um, students who had sports, you know, all people who are grading like me, there rarely were other faculty there, but I was there mm-hmm. and they would um, tailor make me a gluten-free pizza. Um, oh. And yes, 
And so that was a different kind of refuge because um, the work was super hard and if someone else was going to feed me and the staff over there were wonderful, just wonderful. Um, I was very appreciative of that. So yes, you could call that a favorite place too. Yeah. (laughs) Under the right. I was going to ask you if you called the space outside your office, the pecan grove or the pecan grove. I think I say pecan, but I don't know where I first learned that. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, despite the accepting nature of much of the Hendrix community, people call who call it the pecan grove might look, might get looked at a little funny. I don't remember ever. I don't think in Minnesota we called them pecans or Massachusetts, but I could be wrong. Pecan just sounds, or maybe it's my time in Austin and we had a pecan tree back behind the house that I rented with um, uh, another sociology student. And maybe I just heard her say pecan, 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 and nothing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's how I say it. And, and yeah. by the way, that is, I love that we had the outdoor classroom there, even though we had to, mm. we had to um, you know, affirm our right to um, be there because lots of people wanted to use it at the same time. So sometimes <laughs> at the beginning of class, or before the beginning of class, I would send someone out to go block it the claim. Yeah. <laughs> and they would Well, I guess that proves it. that you need more spaces. They need more spaces like they that. They actually do need more they of those, and good. I really hope they're going to do that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, we're getting close to the end of our Probably. time together, I think. So yeah. I'm wondering if they're are questions here that I haven't asked you that you want, like, is there, is there, are there things I have more, but I want to make sure that you have the opportunity to like say here in this space that will be preserved for things that you be sure want to be sure and share. I think in this um, time when I'm just um, overwhelmed by having to move from one state to another and taking care of that, I would love to be able to think about that, but I'm not sure I have any um, wisdom in that regard. I, I just have a, um, and by the way, when we do interviews with prospective faculty, we always leave time for them to ask us things, you know, so I wish I had something prepared that would be wonderful. But I, I just want to <laughs> share my sense of gratefulness for um, students like you and others who just took what they and... Um, Amy and so many others, just countless others who took what they um, experienced at Hendrix, you know, and took took it out into the world and made the best of it. And, um, you know, I, I hope now that I'm free of grading and when I settle down after the move in my in my former hometown in Minnesota, um, Northfield, Minnesota, I hope mm-hmm. that I'll be able to turn to some um, more uh, creative writing and things that have been waiting for years for me to have some time for. Um, And that I will continue to evolve in a way that um, will keep me in touch with um, hopefully the best things that are evolving in myself and also with this broader community of students and alums and um, my poor worn down faculty who are so brilliant and, um, you know, uh, uh, busy trying to make the best mm-hmm. things happen here at Hendrix. But no, I, I don't have, um, I don't have, you know, yeah. pearls. Of so you're moving or, home. 
I, if I have any place that's close to a hometown, it's Northfield, mm-hmm. Minnesota, because I lived there until I was nine, um, mm-hmm. while my dad was teaching at Carleton College. And then oh. I was, yeah, then I was moved against my will to Massachusetts for many, oh. many, many, many years and lived in other parts of the country, California, you know, in Texas during grad school. But mm-hmm. I always have been a Minnesota girl. And I use the word oh. girl consciously because um, there's like my nine year old self who had that identity mm-hmm. that welcomes um you know, walking through that town. And I also love what college, there are two colleges, St. Olaf and Carleton, um, plus my old neighborhoods and the Arboretum and just a lot of layers of things that are meaningful. So when I walk around that place, if I have a home anywhere, Mm -hmm. um, after all my, um, you know, travels and also having a majority of my family in the Czech Republic all my life, um, if there is a hometown, I think it's that. So we're going to find out. Um, yeah. yeah, we're going to find out. Sounds like such fun. Such a great adventure to embark well, upon. Well, it's a leap of faith, you know. And so if, if it doesn't work, you know, I'll, I'll tell you and hopefully invent the next step. But yeah, <laughs> I'm sure yeah. you will. It'll be great. Well, thank you for your faith. <laughs> and what, um, what will you miss from Arkansas? I will miss um, the beauty of the landscape during the times when it isn't beating me down with heat and humidity. I will Mm -hmm. miss my garden that grew Mm. up in a very rocky, shady, hilly yard. And in fact, one of my joys is that I've been able to give some of those plants to friends who especially like them and adopt out some things um, Mm. that I, um, I will miss my closest friends here. At those that are off campus and those that are on campus, for sure. Um, I will, um, I'll miss the, you know, I'm not one of those people who thought retirement would be a shock and all of a sudden I wouldn't know who I was. Um, I've never known who I was (laughs) fully. (laughs) It's always been evolving. Um, But um, I I will miss a little bit the the more direct connection with, having been a professor here and running into people who know that identity. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I value that. And um, I still get to keep my little, my title, my distinguished professorship title with the emerita on it. But, you know, it, it'll be a change to move away from all this. But, yeah, so mm-hmm. people, nature, um, the, the history of many years that I have here, um, uh, and um, those included a lot of ups and downs and challenges and growth. And yeah, all of, all of that. Maybe more that I can't think of on the spot. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a real lasting impact that, you, that you've made on the place and, and the people. Amy and I can both vouch for that, of course. Indeed, yes. Yeah, and mm. I, I love that reminder because I know... Some, um, not just some, but a, a certain count um, that's not small of these gray hairs on my head <laughs> are a result of some very difficult labor. But, um, you know, I don't want to minimize the positive side of, of any of this. So, yeah. yeah, a time to look back at those. Um, trees that have grown from the seeds yeah. that you planted. And... and and I can't wait to hear more of um, the life stories of all of you. 
you know, mm-hmm. the students, and that includes my my colleagues and friends. I'm just so, thank goodness, um, weird as it may have been, my upbringing, um, I, I don't know that it was that weird, but, you know, <laughs> um, it, it gave me a sense of um, just interest and curiosity in life and in people. And so even though I can be on the quiet side and introverted, teaching, you know, was a real challenge in that way, um, I'm just so interested. So I want to keep. So you're keeping that Hendrix email address, right? I, I'm keeping it. Okay. So we know how to get in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Always. I hope they will continue to um, make it functional so that I can keep it. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's one of those, those long-term retirement benefits. Yes, so. I know. All right. Well, um, Sunny, do you have anything else? Oh, it's just so nice to get to have this chance. I wish that many more of your alumni had the opportunity to ask you questions. I wish they were here with me. I mean, you can imagine like a crowd <laughs> of people. I mean, I, I can picture some of them, especially from our class and just getting to share those meals and, and learn in such a, an immersive way. And I'm you, sure so. that they, I'm sure that they too would remember more funny stuff, including things that I did that I had no idea I did that I found out later that someone gave me a certain name or gave a certain name to some <laughs> habit I had or something, but well, hopefully it is, that would be for the good. I yeah. do think most of us would remember the way that you entered a classroom, oh. <laughs> which was just with, <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of like your people can't see you right now, but you're wearing this beautiful fuchsia pink scarf and it's just like such a, you know, a rush of energy that enters into <laughs> a room to say, all right, let's learn about the world together and, and these invisible strings and, and ourselves and, and society. And, and so, yeah, just a, it's a great opportunity to get to chat with you in this way again. And I'm, I'm glad it's recorded so that some of your other beloved followers can, can get to catch up with you as well. Well, I doubt they're followers, but hopefully they're at least sympathetic to me in some way. <laughs> but, um, but thank you for that memory, because I will never forget the feeling of entering a classroom and loving the subject, but wondering what would happen and was I ready and uh, you know, hoping for the best, but not knowing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do remember that feeling and thank you for sharing it. <laughs> thank you both so much for taking this time. We really appreciate it. You've been listening to If These Bricks Could Talk, Tales of Hendrix Past, a podcast brought to you by the Hendrix College Offices of Communications, Technology Services, and Development. Our audio engineer is Megan Stevenson, Hendrix Class of 2007. Our theme music was created by Kristen Pichinsky, Hendrix Class of 1997, performing as Ellen Cherry. I'm Amy Meredith Forbus, Hendricks Class of 1996. Thanks for listening.